0: And good afternoon, you're listening to Ken Hudnall, this is the Ken Hudnall Show, coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas, gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is August the 14th, 226th day of the year, 139 days remain to the year's over with. And since you all asked for holidays and observances, National Financial Awareness Day, Pakistan Independence Day, anniversary of the recovery Oud-ed-Dahab, uh, celebrates Morocco's independence and reclamation of their land after 100 years of occupation, Falklands Day, Love Your Bookshop Day, National Creamsicle Day, National Spirit of 45 Day, National Tattoo Removal Day, Go will get one taken off today, Navajo Code Talkers Day. Pramuka Day. That's Indonesia's national scouting organization and the world's largest group of scouts. U.S. Victory Day. Um, observes the holiday as a reminder of the end of the war and opportunity to pay homage to veterans. Um, vigil of uh, Assumption Day. And World Lizard Day. Run out and get one today. righty. In 74 BC, a group of officials led by Western Han Minister Hao Guang presented articles of impeachment against the new emperor Li He to the imperial regent, Empress Dowlinger Shangguan. The articles, enumerating the 1127 offenses uh, from sexual debauchery to to fiscal negligence and the cronyism, that the ministers found the new emperor to have committed over the course of his 27-day rule result in the unprecedented impeachment and summary disposition on the same day of the emperor by the bureaucracy. Nobody's safe. 29 BC, Octavian holds the second of three consecutive triumphs in Rome to celebrate the victory over the Dalmatian tribes. 1040 AD, King Duncan I is killed in battle against his first cousin and rival Macbeth the latter succeeds him as King of Scotland. 1183 Taira no Munimori and the Taira clan take the young Emperor Antoku and three sacred treasures and flee to western Japan to escape pursuit by the Minamoto clan. 1264 after tricking the Venetian galley fleet into the sailing east of the Levant the Genoese capture an entire Venetian trade convoy at the Battle of Sassino. Thirteen fifty two, War of the Britain Succession. Anglo Britons defeat the French in the Battle of Moron. Thirteen seventy. Charles IV, of the Roman Emperor, grants city privileges to Carlo Vivari. 1385, Portuguese Crisis of 1883 to 85. Battle of Aljubarrota. Portuguese forces commanded by John I of Portugal defeat the Castilian army of John I of Castile. 1592, the first sighting of the Falkland Islands by John Davis took place on this date. 1598, Nine Years' War, Battle of the Yellow Ford. Irish forces under Hugh e. O'Neill, Earl of Tyrone, defeat an English expeditionary force under Henry Baganat. Baganat, it one up. more time, Baganat. Seventeen twenty, Spanish military Philosoph expeditions defeated by Pawnee and uh, Oto warriors in their present day Columbus, Nebraska. Seventeen eighty four, Russian colonization of North America. Ouk Massacre. The Russian fur trader, Gregory Selikov storms a Kodiak Island Al refuge rock on Sitkalk Island, kills five hundred or so Alut. Tilt. Subsequent uh, subjugation of the Alu Tilk on Kodiak Island allows uh, Shilakov to establish the first permanent Russian settlement in Alaska at Three Saints Bay. 1790 Treaty of Wuerlow ends in 1788 to 1790 Russia and Swedish War. 1791 Slaves from plantations in Santo Domingo hold a voodoo ceremony led by Hungan. Tibukman that boy come in marking the start of the Haitian Revolution 1814 a ceasefire agreement called the convention of Moss ends the Swedish Norwegian War 1816 the United Kingdom formally annexes the Tristan de Kuna archipelago administering the islands from the Cape Colony in South Africa 1842 American Indian Wars second Seminole war ends with the Seminoles force from Florida. 1848, Oregon Territory is organized by an act of Congress. 1880, construction of Cologne Cathedral, the most famous landmark in Cologne, Germany, is completed on this date. 1885, Japan's first patent is issued to the inventor of the rust-proof paint. 1893, France becomes the first country to introduce motor vehicle registration. 1900, Battle of Peking, the Eight-Nation Alliance occupies Beijing, China, in a campaign to end the bloody Boxer Rebellion in China. In 1901, the first clean-powered flight by Gustav Whitehead and his number 21 took place on this date. 1914, World War I started the battle of Lorraine, an unsuccessful French offensive. 1917, World War One, Republic of China, which had heretofore been shipping laborers to Europe to assist in a war effort, officially declares war on the Central Powers. Although it will continue to send to Europe laborers instead of combatants for the remaining duration of the war. 1920, 1920, Summer Olympics, having started four months earlier, officially opened in Antwerp, Belgium, with the newly adopted Olympic flag, and the Olympic oath being raised and taken at the opening ceremony for the first time in Olympic history. 1921, Tanu Oriankai, later. Uh, Tuvan People's Republic is established as a completely independent colony which is supported by the Soviet Russia. 1933, loggers caused a forest fire in the coast range of Oregon later known as the first forest fire of the Tillamook Burn destroying 240,000 acres of land. 1935, Franklin Roosevelt signs the Social Security Act created a government pension system for the retired. 1936, rainy Bethes hung in uh, Owensboro, Kentucky is the last known public execution in the U.S. They used to sell tickets, where I grew up. 1941, they even had people coming around selling uh, popcorn and what have you. 1941, World War II, Winston Churchill, Franklin Roosevelt signed the Atlantic Charter of War, stating uh, post-war aims. 1947, Pakistan gains independence from the British Empire. 1959, founding and first official meeting of the American Football League. 1967, UK Marine Broadcasting Offenses Act declares participation on a pirate radio illegal. The government couldn't control it. You couldn't do it. 1969, the troubles. British troops are deployed in Northern Ireland as political and sectarian violence breaks out. Mark the start of the 37 year Operation Banner. 1971, Bahrain declares independence from Britain. 1972, an Aleutian 262 airliner crashes near Koniga, uh, Wusterhausen, uh, East Germany, killing 156 people. 1980, the once I had strikes at the Gdansk, sh- Poland shipyards. 1994, Ilik Ramirez Sanchez also known as Carlos the Jackal, is captured on this date. 1996, Greek city refi- refugee Solomus Salamou is shot and killed by a Turkish security officer while trying to climb a flag- flagpole in order to move a Turkish flag from its mast in the United Nations buffer zone in Cyprus. 2003, a wide-scale power blackout affects the Northeast U.S. and Canada. 2005, Helios Airways Flight 522 en route from Larnaca, Cyprus to Prague, Czechoslovakia via Athens crashes in the hills near Gramatico, Greece, killing 121 passengers and crew. 2006 Lebanon War. Ceasefire takes effect three days after United Nations Security Council's approval of United Nations Security Council Resolution 1701, formally ending hostilities between Lebanon and Israel. I like their attitude. You stop it because we tell you to. 2006, Sri Lankan Civil War. 61 schoolgirls were killed in the Chinchillai bombing by the Sri Lankan Air Force um, airstrike. 2007, the Catania bombings killed at least 500 people. Now, if you don't know what that is, uh, four coordinated suicide car bomb attacks detonated in the Yazidi towns of Ezer and Siba Sheik Qadir in northern Iraq. 796 people were killed and 1,500 others were wounded, making the Iraq War's uh, deadliest car bomb attack forced the uh, deadliest act of terrorism in history after September 11th attacks in the U.S., the Camp Specia massacre in Iraq, and the Kadra massacre of the Amhara people in Ethiopia. Interestingly enough, nobody claimed responsibility. I don't think they expected it to be that uh, deadly. 2013, Egypt declares a state of emergency. Security forces kill hundreds of demonstrators supporting former President Mohamed Morsi. 2013, UPS Airlines Flight 1354 crashes shorted a runway at Birmingham Shuttlesworth International Airport. Kill both crew members on board. 2015, U.S. Embassy in Havana, Cuba reopens after 54 years of being closed when Cuba-United States relations were broken off. Uh, 2021, magnitude 7.2 earthquake strikes southwestern Haiti, kills at least 2,248 people, causes a humanitarian crisis for which the Clinton Foundation raised millions of dollars that seemed to vanish. 2022, an explosion that destroys a market in Armenia, killing six and injuring dozens. Well, we have been talking in, uh, last couple of shows about um, strange topics. We're going to talk about a little bit more of uh, true crime unsolved mysteries. Interestingly enough, a lot of prominent people have been killed uh, in unsolved cases. Let's see. I'll just Now, one of the worst things to have happen is um, murdered children, and there's been a lot of um, talk about wanting justice for murdered children. There one particular woman, that wanted it 25 years after her son, uh, Reggie Reese, was shot and killed. My name is Lawanda Hawkins. She, cru- she, one more time, crusades to bring his uh, murderer and hundreds of other predators to justice. Now, th- this particular family lived in California, in a gated community on a hilltop. According to Lawanda Hawkins, they could see all the way to Catalina, and offered something more than the beauty of its Pacific Ocean vistas. Uh, has 24-hour security guards and a taxicab waiting at the back gate every morning to take her son, Reggie Reese, to school. Uh, the San Pedro, California neighborhood uh, appeared to provide a safe refuge from the unprecedented surge of drug and gang-related violence. that was ravaging the city in the early 1990s. For Reggie, an avid swimmer who grew up uh, half a mile from the beaches and who, by his teens, had ambitions to become an entertainer. The future would very promising. But December 6, 1995, police found the body of LaWanda Hawkins' 19-year-old son and shot dead in the Port of Los Angeles docks in San Pedro. He was an apparent victim of the gang violence his mother tried so hard to protect him from. In fact, in that particular year, he was one of 838 murder victims in L.A. that year. According to uh, Hawkins, it's all just a bad nightmare when I think about it. That's my only child my whole life. When he got killed, it just wiped her out. The problem is, for many of these people, they have so little, life is cheap. Her son's murder. Um ignited a determination to bring his killers to justice and launch Hawkins on a crusade that's become her life's work. She's in her early 60s. She's the passionate driving force behind Justice for Murdered Children, a nonprofit group. And she co-founded shortly after his murder to draw the public's attention to unsolved murder cases and offer support and guidance to victims' family members who, like her hope to bring their loved one's killers to justice. Your most successful tactic to publicize unsolved cases that uh, would otherwise get little attention is a billboard and bus shelter poster campaign launched in 2019 features the faces of victims of unsolved killings. has a telephone tip line and number and a attention-grabbing motto, Do You Know Who Murdered Us? Well, that same question spurred Hawkins' own decades-long investigation into her son's murder. The case still remains open, but the amateur sleuth believes she's pieced together from information he gathered from quizzing his friends and former schoolmates and local gang members, as well as the ongoing assistance from local police and federal law enforcement. She's put together a credible scenario that might explain what brought him to his uh, fatal encounter on the docks 27 years ago. See, her son hardly fit the profile of the typical L.A. area gangbanger. He was a talented break dancer when he was younger, and by his teens, his musical taste had evolved from hip-hop and gangster rap to mainstream pop and Hollywood musicals. His new favorite song was uh, The Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing. She recalls uh, teaching his cousin the steps in the family basement. But, you know, Reggie didn't focus on the, the moonwalk. He... Taught him to bust moves like Patrick Swayze, she said. You know, tragically, the same environment that nurtured Reg, uh, Reggie, Reggie's unpleasant uh, independence may have left him vulnerable to the world of gang activity and violence. According to Hawkins, who's a retired accountant, she now believes he's an only child he wants to fit in. He was in his first years of high school when his death happened. But he's a black kid from the top of the hill, from this other world, and among the schoolmates from San Pedro's projects, he was a fish out of water. Now Hawkins has reason to believe that at the same time that Reggie began to hang out with kids from the local gang affiliations, a faction of the much larger Crips street gang from Watts was expanding in its drug business into San Pedro. The gang members as have taken a page from Oliver Twist, operate out modern-day Fagans, recruiting uh, underage kids to act as couriers and street dealers on the theory that they uh, wouldn't face felony charges that um, might bring adult offenders long prison sentences. By 1995, one gang leader was moving to take over the San Pedro waterfront and killing kids to do it. At that point in time, Reggie was out of high school and working as a deckhand on party boats that tied up at San Pedro's uh, popular port are called Village. A tourist area was has since been demolished was located close by the spot on the Los, uh, Port of Los Angeles docks where he was shot and killed. And she has strong reason to believe her son was executed on orders carried out by an unidentified shooter because the gang wanted to send a message and her son was the message. Well, Reggie Reese's grieving mother says she won't rest until all those responsible for her son's murder are apprehended. But even if that does happen, she isn't like them to slow down. She unveiled a new Who Murdered Us billboard in uh, Long Beach, California, in July of 2021. Citing police statistics indicating that some 5,000 homicides remain unsolved in L.A., she was flanked by L.A. and Long Beach law enforcement officers as she made her presentation. She said, we want people to know that murder affects us all, and these lives matter. And there's a number of poster children, I guess you could say. One was uh, a Spice Girl fan who had just finished ninth grade. Her name was Desiree Haro. She was 15. Murdered July 1st, 2003, and what her mother says was a gang initiation drive-by shooting of a random target. According to Hawkins, Desiree fled to safety when the shooting started only to come out of hiding to pull her girlfriend who also survived out of the harm's way and instead she got killed herself. Then Anthony Iniguez, 20, father of two young boys, shot apparently at random while riding his bike down the wrong street in Los Angeles in 2017. Hawkins' group helped raise money to pay for his burial. His mother, Kristen uh, Terman told People Magazine she's been nothing but an angel. For her to have lost her son and help mothers like this inspires me to do the same. Basically, it's paying it forward, I guess you could say. And then there's Jahara Keys, 17. Very sweet girl with dreams of helping others by becoming a physician. That's according to her mother, Bertha. Her dreams were destroyed May 3, 2007, when she was killed by a bullet fired into a crowd outside a teen club in Carson, California case against a suspect, and there was a suspect identified It was not pursued for lack of evidence. According to Bertha, it wasn't fair to kill her child and get away with it, but you also run into the fact that quite often the, uh, the prosecutors, funded by George Soros, are so liberal they don't really care. Right now, the big move in California is no cash bail. You promised to be better, and they let you walk. Well, let's talk about uh, the murder of 16-year-old Molly Bish. Disappeared from a server job in 2000. Family think they're getting closer to the resolution they've sought for more than 20 years. Well, high atop her perch on the wooden lifeguard chair and Commons Pond in Warren, Massachusetts. Uh, Molly Bish you could see kids splashing in the water, diving under the surface, and building sandcastles on tree-shaded beaches. She was a fun-loving, athletic high school honor student, excited to be the lifeguard at this popular swimming spot. She actually followed in the footsteps the role of her older brother John, who was 20 at the time and had been a guard there for years before her. When he landed a different summer job, 16-year-old Molly jumped at the chance to step in, even though her mother was uh, apprehensive about her daughter taking the post at a secluded pond. But her daughter reassured her and said she wasn't worried. When Molly couldn't see, what she couldn't see is she watched over the pond with a, the danger lurking in the woods around her. Morning of June 27, 2000, on her eighth day on the job, she vanished from Cummins Ponds just minutes after her mother dropped her off for her shift. And despite the largest search undertaken in Massachusetts at that time, it'd be another three years before authorities would be able to find her remains. Now, after more than 20 years, the, the Bishes are struggling with both progress and setbacks in the investigation. In 2021, police finally named a credible suspect, Francis Frank Sumner Sr., a convicted rapist and kidnapper, only to have DNA evidence come back negative a year later. That's according to Bish's sister, Heather. district attorney, though, still considers Sumner a suspect. Any discussion of evidence or the statute of uh, status of DNA evidence being tested is premature, according to uh, Worcester County District Attorney Spokesperson uh, Lindsey Corcoran. Investigation remains very active and ongoing. Regardless, just uh, may never be served. Sumner died 71 in 2016. Still, Worcester County District Attorney Joseph uh, Early Jr. says he has hopes to Give the Bish family a measure of relief. You said what the family really wants is her daughter back. I can't do that, but I can give them a solution as to who committed the murder. It was about 9.55 in the morning on June 27, 2000, when Molly, uh, Maggie, that's her mother, dropped Molly off at the beach. One thirty 1.30, she got a heart-jolting call from the town's assistant police chief telling her Molly hadn't been seen at work since about 10.08 in the morning. When mothers bringing their kids for morning swim lessons called to report there was no lifeguard on duty, and knowing Molly would never have left her post unless it was an emergency, her mother rushed back to the pond and she was said she was screaming Molly, Molly. What she saw was Molly's backpack in the sand near the lifeguard chair along with her shoes. And the question became why would she leave without her shoes? Molly's older sister Heather, who was 24 at the time, watched her. Normally, a flappable mother demanding to speak to the local police chief with increasing panic. Heather said she knew something was seriously wrong at that point. Initially, local police suspected Molly might have simply left the beach to go off with her friends, but it soon became clear there was something more sinister going on than that. As soon as the state police came in, they started looking at it as an abduction or homicide. Divers, including Molly's frantic brother John, dove into the pond's murky water, trying to find any trace of the the teenager. Volunteers and police with search dogs combed the surrounding forest, theorizing whoever abducted the Molly had been watching her from behind her lifeguard chair, probably hidden in the woods. Was the thought? It's a perfect place for somebody to hide and be able to watch her. And then, when they had the opportunity, kidnap her. Take three years and hundreds of fruitless tips before a local hunter mentioned to a friend he'd seen a blue bathing suit in the woods on Whiskey Hill about three miles, and Molly disappeared. That friend contacted police, and on June 9, 2003, Molly's remains were finally located. Her mother said, there's no understanding of it. It really doesn't make any sense. Only about several hours wasted when authorities thought Molly had simply run away. Maggie, now a retired special education teacher, and her husband John, a re- retired probation officer, spent the years after Molly's death channeling their pain into helping other families. In 2001, they partnered with U.S. Senator Ted Kennedy to bring Amber Alerts to Massachusetts and worked to launch the state's Missing Children's Day. They also started the Molly Bish Foundation to raise awareness about child abduction and They've distributed more than seven hundred fifty thousand free ID kits to families to help find their children should they ever go missing. Molly, in her own way, has a legacy nobody had ever thought about, according to Maggie, and makes her heart beat. Since twenty nineteen, Heather Bish has also been working with the state legislature on a bill to let Massachusetts join other states and, not only law enforcement, to use familiar DNA searches in the uh, investigation of violent cold cases. According to State Senator Ann Goby, uh, Hill's lead sponsor, Molly's case definitely raised awareness in a scary sort of way. For now, the Bishops who've criticized the DA's work are struggling with the faltering investigation. According to what the Heather told NBC Boston in July 2022, it's disappointing. That's when she revealed the negative DNA results. Hope is an uh, eternal blessing that I hope I never run out of, and When Sermon was named a suspect, authorities met with Heather to share the details and to return some of Molly's belongings investigators took during the initial investigation. Among these items were Molly's purse and sunglasses and prom invitations, all bringing back memories of the sister who never made it past the age of 16. And inside that bag of belongings, Heather also found a soundtrack cassette tape of the animated movie, An American Tale, with one of Molly's favorite songs. that's somewhere out there. According to Heather, she loved that song, and when that came back, I thought, oh, it's a little sign from my sister. But sign or not, case hasn't been solved. Well, sometimes mysterious occurrences are hard to understand. This particular case of my boyhood buddies Casey McPherson Pomeroy and Caleb Guillory made plans to ring in the New Year and Ante- Anguilla with their wives. Instead, they ended up dead. And now the men's families want answers. Casey McPherson Pomeroy was a kind of easygoing, good-time guy that people gravitated to. So much so that when he cut school to go snowboarding, there were teachers who would take off with him. That's according to Chuck Pomeroy, the stepfather who helped raise Casey in Eagle Point, Oregon. But his good looks and his smoothing personality got away with a lot. By the time Casey was 37 and married, he dabbled in pharmaceutical sales in Fresno, California, and acted in Los Angeles before deciding to start medical school in the Caribbean island of Anguilla, where he and his wife Barbara went in an apartment near the water. He said his son told him, I'm a beach bum now. I'm an islander. His father, Charlie McPherson, recalls it's a good life. A taste of that good life was just what his boyhood friend, uh, Caleb Gilroy, uh, 37, is like Carly, were looking for when they flew to the island to visit the McPherson Polaroids in December 2018. Carly was bracing to begin some medical treatments in the New Year's, according to Caleb's uncle, George Gilroy. doctor said, go relax, have a good time, and it'll be good for you. And by midnight, December 31st, instead of toasting 29, Caleb and Casey were both dead. According to Island's Corner, they were poisoned by a lethal dose of MDA, street name Sally, and cocaine, even though neither man was known to use drugs. Caleb's death certificate also known he was suffered from asphyxia, strangulation, and chest compression. Casey cited seizures and cardiac and pulmonary distress. Four years later, family members say they have no answers to what really happened to the man. Only more questions and suspicions. The Royal angle Gila police force has announced no charges in the case and there's no open criminal investigation. Local corridor belatedly opened an inquest in September 2019 but it's gone nowhere because the four witnesses of the death, Barbara and Carly and the third couple in the party, they're Husband's childhood friend, uh, Chuck Gross, and his wife, uh, Alicia, never returned to Anguilla to tell what they knew. All had declined through an attorney or didn't respond to multiple requests by People magazine to be interviewed following the two men's death. According to Casey's sister, De Bonnie McPherson Udall, I think they all have something to hide. She retained uh, an attorney, both here and on the island, uh, I want private investigator T.J. Ward to push for answers. According to George Gilroy, uh, the longer it goes, the more convoluted it gets. The story that Barbara McPherson Pomeroy, a nurse practitioner, and others told police seems straightforward enough, as laid out by Barbara's attorney, Marshall Whitney, in November twentieth, twenty nineteen, letter regarding her claim to Casey's life insurance policy. Barbara Casey. And Caleb had stomped off at an outdoor beach bar on the night of December 30, 2018 and bought a single rum and coke that was left unattended while they were looking for Casey's lost flip-flop. And then all three sipped from the same cup, which they then carried back to the apartment. Barebone's page page-and-a-half police report picks up the story at that point. 9 49 p.m., Alicia called police from the McPherson Pomeroy's Island Harbor apartment to report one of their friends isn't breathing and wanted an ambulance. Police and the EMTs arrived to find Caleb mostly motionless on the living room floor, lying on his back. He's already dead. And they noticed Casey in the bedroom having a seizure and rushed him to the hospital where he eventually died. Barbara felt this was no accident that somebody intentionally tainted their drink. That the trio took from the beach to back a uh, bar, back to the apartment. Police report goes on to say that based on the abnormal behavior of the four others in the apartment uh, Barbara, Carly, Chuck, and Alicia, and Barbara's claim she was also feeling sick from her sips of the drink, all were taken to the hospital. And after their release, they were placed in police custody for nearly three days, after which they were set free and they immediately left the island. Well, that's where the sparse official account ends, and for the McPherson, Pomeroy's, and the Gilroy's, the red flags began. After Case and Caleb's death, their bodies were cremated, even though, according to Ward, the private investigator hired by Casey's sister, a family friend, have offered to send a plane for the deceased, their wives, and the grocers to come home to the U.S. together. I mean, why would you create bodies in another country when there's all kinds of family at home here? unless she wanted to get rid of some evidence. Casey's sister, De- uh, Debony, and the others held a fundraiser October 2019 to help pay ward to investigate. Barbara and Carly sent a statement that read, in part, we find their pursuits to be replete with misstatements and believe they're unproductive. We're cooperating with appropriate authorities and don't support a this event in any way. In other words, shut up and leave us alone. But Debony, her parents, and the Gilloways say there's been no other way to get information. Officials on the island at the U.S. State Department uh, communicate only where Barbara and Carly is next to Ken. And Ward claimed the U.S. authorities just want this to go away because their money's made from tourism and this happened in the middle of the tourist season. New Year's Eve. Paul Morrison, the island's police commissioner at the time, says the inquest has been stymied because an attorney for Barbara, Carly, and the gross is refusing to take our calls. In an April 11, 2019 update on the case that Barbara emailed a friend, she made clear how she felt about Anguilla's judicial system after her stay in police custody following the death. She said no food for two and a half days, no sheets or blankets, air conditioning at 60 degrees, holes in the ground for a toilet. She said she, Carly, Chuck, and Alicia were treated as criminals. George Gilroy said he asked both Carly and Chuck Gross if they had testified at the inquest, and both of them said they would fear for their lives. No way in hell they're going to go back down to testify for anything. But the foursome did visit Chuck Palmer and his wife, Casey's mother, Paulette, June 15, 2019. But they didn't say much about the case. They came with their heads down. Barbara did most of the talk, and it was brief and not in any detail. She got no indication they were trying to get to the bottom of what happened. And as the awkward visit ended, she said, Barbara seriously said, uh, do not talk about this. Don't publicize it. You'll cause problems. Barbara hinted at similar concerns in an email to friends writing to the Anguilla police that actually initially charged her and Chuck Gross with manslaughter after the deaths, but uh, didn't follow through with prosecuting as we'd suffered enough. But there's no record of any charges having been filed, and Casey's family suspects Barbara made it up to garner sympathy. According to Debeny, there's been a lot of lies told. Maybe the most mysterious one was told by Casey himself. And, uh, of course, reaching out to her brother's friends with news of his death, Debony learned from his talent agent and friend Chris Montgomery that uh, Casey lived a double life while working as an actor in Los Angeles from 2010 to 2014, telling friends he was single but commuting between an apartment there and his Fresno house uh, where he lived with Barbara. He said Casey's life in L.A. was a single life of carefree good times, uh, no clue, no nothing. He was married, was told uh, me about a wedding that had gone to his best man, and after talking to Debony, she learned he'd been telling him de- uh, telling details of his own wedding. I mean, that wasn't an oops, I forgot to tell you type of thing. It was a deliberate lie. And whatever Casey's intent was at the time, all Debony and her family see now is another red flag. There's a lot of secrets and a lot of things being hidden. Doesn't seem to be any steps being taken to solve the murder. And why would you walk off and leave your drink sitting on the bar? If you were searching for something, you'd more than likely carry the drink with you. Well, everything's falling apart here. And okay, is back together and working now. This next case, one of the best known in California, I'm told, the Keddy Cabin Murders. It's a cold case that's starting to heat up. 2016, a junk collector with a metal detector reported finding a rusty hammer in a pond down the road from the scene of one of California's most infamous cases. That was a, the and murder of a mother, her son, and the son's friend in cabin 28 of the Old Keddie Resort, deep in the pine forested Sierra Nevada Mountains. The apparent connection to the unsolved crime, for which nobody's ever been arrested, been charged was chilling. April 12th, 1981, 14 year old Sheila Sharp, returning from a sleepover to a friend's place, discovered the bodies of her mother, Sue, who was 36, her brother, Johnny, who was 15, and his best friend, Danny Wingate, who was 17. In the cabin, her family rented in the former resort. Victims were bound with tape and electrical wire, and then they'd been bludgeoned to death. Blood spattered on the walls and the ceiling. There was a bent stake knife and a bloody hammer was nearby. Missing was Sheila's sister, Tina, who was 12. Her decomposed remains were found three years later in the woods, about 50 miles from Ketty. Sheila told People Magazine in 2016, I was confused. I was in shock. She recalled that horrific day in April. About 40 years ago. Neighbors say she came back screaming for Palomas County Supervisor Greg Hagwood and Detective uh, Mike Gamberg who came out of retirement in 2013 to help in this long dormant investigation. The hammer found in the pond was a promising new lead on a cold case that was finally beginning to heat up. In the immediate aftermath of the Murders. A neighbor named uh, Marty Smart told investigators before abruptly leaving town that his own hammer, a clawhead model with blue handle, had gone missing. So the question became could the nearly identical tool found in the woods have been one of the weapons used to viciously kill members of the Sharp family and their friend? That possibility and the discovery of several other potential clues fired up Hagwood and. Gamberg, who remain convinced today that a resolution to the events that have traumatized their tight-knit Northern California community might well be in sight. According to Gamberg, they better back down the hatches because we're coming. He knew all the victims and says that one of them, Dana Wingate, was at his house the day before the homicide. He gave an interview to the Reno Gazette Journal in 2016. He said, we're continuing with the investigation. We're doing interviews and we've got several pushes of interest. Agwood, who was, whose mother was Tina Sharp's a school teacher, told people the time had come for members of the community to come together with information. She said initially people's silence was a measure of overwhelming fear. That, uh, that's transitioned transition to a fear of being exposed without having done something they uh, could have done a long time ago. She said, I truly believe there are people alive who can confirm what we've long suspected. 2018, the the Caddy investigator's confidence was bolstered even more when DNA extracted from tape used to bind the victims at the crime scene was sent out for analysis. And that followed the discovery in a sealed case file of another tantalizing clue, a cassette recording of an anonymous 911 caller suggesting that human remains found in the woods were that of Tina. After all, Gamberg now believes that four people, including... Main suspects, Marty Smart and his friend ex con Severin John Boud Boubidi, who both since died, were involved in the crimes that two were uh, accessories to the killings after they occurred they may still be alive. The story of what really happened in that cabin begins with the woman whose friends and family described as a devoted, a devoted, loving single mother, Lena sue sharp in the late 1970s the quiet scenic town of Keddie promised a new start for the single mom and her five kids she had recently escaped an abusive marriage to a military man in connecticut who according to her surviving daughter sheila sexually abused her and her sister tina sue and the children johnny and tina who were both killed and sheila and two younger sons rick and greg who were sleeping in an adjacent bedroom and weren't harmed during the attack Relocated in Northern California where Sue's brother Don worked for the railroad. They moved just down the highway from Quincy to Ketty in their rustic two-bedroom, one-bath cabin in 1980. Sheila loved the resort area and the views, she told people in 2016. She recalls getting her love of reading and learning how to crochet from her mother. Sheila, who's an administrative assistant at an Oregon construction company, said her mother was very creative. And her brother, Rick, has fond memories of Sue as well. He said, I don't remember her ever yelling at us. She was a good mom. Now, Sue wanted a better life for her kids, and while working at the Elks Lodge, she had plans to take college business classes. But unfortunately, the opportunity was taken away from her. Police investigated the homicides in 81. They heard rumors that Sue had been hanging around with the wrong people and that drugs may have been involved, but the Police didn't take that seriously. According to Gambard, she was Sue was never that kind of individual. She was into her kids. But another theories made the rounds. That did sound more plausible. Sue had reportedly taken sides in a marital dispute between Marty Smart and his wife Marilyn, who lived close by. She actually urged Marilyn to leave her husband. Decades later, Gambert believes that Marty and... Boobiti may have barged into Cabin twenty eighth that night to confront Sue, and Tina, Johnny, and Dana walked into a situation that was under control and went downhill from there. A letter written by Marty that was in the original Caddy case file, apparently referred to the violent confrontation, came close to confession and murder. He said, said, I paid the price of your love and now I've I bought it with four people's lives. You tell me we're through, great. What else do you want? Marty wrote Marilyn after the murders, and Marilyn says she first saw the letter years later. Garenberger also tracked down a therapist in Reno to whom Marty allegedly confessed and who was shocked to learn. Investigators at the time didn't use that confession to solve the crimes. Then uh, Plumas County Sheriff Doug Thomas, who moved on to a new job shortly after the murders and is now retired, confirms that Smart and Bo Beattie were investigating, but no evidence had proved their involvement. Says he wasn't aware at the time of the letter written to Maryland, which emerged long after the murders. And as for the fact the case wasn't solved, he said we did the best we could. Unfortunately, we didn't do a good enough job to convict anybody, and that's a shame. Today, although tests conducted on the evidence recovered in recent years have been inconclusive, of conclusive, Hagwood and Gamberg remain on the case and continue to track down leads referred to them by Plumas County Sheriff's Office. Um... According to um, statements made, uh, they believe that in some way, shape, or form, they're going to be able to pull this together. That statement was made by Gamberg to uh, San Francisco's, Sacramento's ABC10 in 2021. And as for Sheila, who's now in her mid-50s, she's cautiously optimistic the mystery be solved. She said, I have a feeling there probably won't be any arrests because if it was Marty and Bo, they're dead. We don't even know why they did it. That's my biggest thing, but I have hope. I really do. And the timeline makes interesting reading. April 11th, 1981, 14-year-old Sheila Sharp leaves cabin 28 for a sleepover with a friend next door. At the cabin are her mom, Sue, 36, brother Johnny, 15, and his friend Dana Wingate, 17, sister Tina, who's 12, and brothers Rick, 10, and Greg, who's 5, and their friend Justin Smart, who's... Twelve. On the 12th of April, Sheila returns home to find her mother, Johnny and Dana, have been murdered. Bodies have been bound and bludgeoned with a hammer and stabbed. Tina's missing, but the the three younger boys are still asleep in the back bedroom. That same month, in 81, police questioned Justin's stepfather, Marty Smart, He was angry about Sue's interference in his marriage, and his ex-con friend, Bo, Bo Beattie, neither is named as a suspect, and each later leaves town as fast as they can. April 11, 1984, on the third anniversary of the killing, a man collecting bottles in the woods 50 miles from Keddie founds a severed skull. An anonymous 911 caller later claims that skull is out of Tina Sharp. Police confirmed that with dental records. So at the time... This 12-year-old girl was taken off in the woods, and Lord knows what happened. Well, in June of 2013, Greg Hagwood, Bloomington County Sheriff at that time, hires a retired sheriff's investigator, Mike Gamberg, to organize files on the case with an eye toward re-examining it. Gamberg later confirms an early report that Smart confessed to the killings during a therapy session. Of course, his therapist couldn't testify to that effect. It'd be a violation of patient confidentiality. However, as I've discovered... Nobody cares about that anymore. March 2016, a junk collector using a metal detector near Keddie finds a blue-handled claw hammer similar to the one that Marty Smart told police he'd lost. Gamberg also discovered a sealed file containing a cassette tape of the anonymous call reporting the discovery of Tina's body. Both hammer and audio recordings are sent out for forensic testing. Results were inconclusive, of course. And then in April 2016, 35 years after the murders, Gamberg says he's making progress in the investigation, believes he's identified at least six persons of interest connected to the case. Raised a lot of interesting questions. But the problem is, as most experts will tell you after 48 hours, the odds of getting a... um, Conviction. Begin the lesson. Well, let's talk about our next case, which came from Idaho. Family camping trip. Supposed to be a time of enjoyment, but a toddler goes missing. And there's a massive search. His parents are under a cloud of suspicion. Question becomes: What happened to two-year-old? Dior Kuntz, K-U-N-Z. Well, Dior Kuntz Jr. was just two years old when he was reported missing during a family camping trip in the Idaho mountains. The news of the July 10th, 2015, disappearance of the toddler who the playing with hot wheels and spotting fishies in mountain lakes made national headlines. But it left local investigators absolutely baffled. Baby Dior, or the little man as he was called by his family, was staying at the rustic Timber Creek campground in Salmon Chalice National Forest with his parents. Jessica Mitchell and Dior Coombs Sr. It was the boy's great-grandfather, Robert Walton and Walton's friend Isaac Reinwand, searched for good fishing spots. Mitchell and Coombs walked about 50 yards from the campsite where they left little Dior in the care of his great-grandfather. When they came back, 20 minutes later, no trace of the child could be found. Well, when the father saw the the boy's tiny camping chair empty, he asked the grandfather, where's the oar? He said, I just threw the fishing pole down and left everything where it was, and I started searching, ran up the embankment and screamed. Not a sign could be found. Well, 200 law enforcement officers and volunteers combed a two-mile-wide radius of wilderness surrounding the campground and searched the shoreline and waters of nearby Timber Creek and Stone Reservoir. There was no physical evidence, such as clothing or blood, ever found, and no arrests has ever been made. Unable to explain where their child had gone, Mitchell, a certified caregiver, and Coons, a long-haul trucker, speculated maybe their toddler had been snatched up by a bear taken away by people living off the grid in the Idaho mountains to raise as their own. Then, Lemhi County Sheriff Lynn Bowerman uh, wasn't behind that. With only one road leading into the isolated campground and one road out, it seemed unlikely that a potential intruder or a large animal for that matter could have taken the baby away without that being seen or heard by the adults who were there that day. 2016, after months of fruitly searching, Bowerman named Mitchell and Deore Coons, Sr. suspects in their son's disappearance, saying the parents had failed polygraph tests and changed their stories and timelines in interviews with the investigators. The primary problem, according to what he told People Magazine at the time, is their being less than truthful. And five years later, the case still remains under investigation. And, um, Lamont County Sheriff Steve Penner, who took over from Barman in 2016, told People in a recent interview, actually did a search last weekend. And unlike his predecessor in the job, Penner doesn't consider Mitchell and Coons to be suspects. Instead, he's referred to all four of the individuals at the campground in the summer of 2015 as "uncleared persons of interest But a, uh, a lot of suspicion still hangs over to yours parents, who are now divorced. Interview with Boise, Idaho TV station KTVB that aired as part of a documentary about War's disappearance in 2019, Mitchell and Coon Sr. said they've lost jobs, been threatened in public, and been called baby killers by members of the community. Philip Klein, the Texas PI the couple hired 26 2016 to investigate their son's whereabouts, turned on his clients after six weeks on the job, saying he actually considered them suspects in the boys' disappearance. Coons and Mitchell both say Klein has never produced any evidence to back up that conclusion. Klein did, however, provide the boys of TV outlet video footage of interviews with the couple, as well as with Walton, who died in 2019, in which all three appear to lay blame on somebody else. And while uh, maintaining their own innocence, Mitchell described the atmosphere at the group outing as tense. She said there were a lot of red flags. She was particularly concerned, uh, particularly concerned about uh, Rainwan, who she and Dior Sr. say they never met before. He'd been drinking and was absent from the campsite more than anybody else. Could he have harmed Dior? Now, according to Mitchell, she's felt it from day one. For his part, Rainwan told reporter from the station he had nothing to do with the crime. All I know is Dior was up there with us. We were camping. Next thing you know, he was gone. were four adults there for some reason none of us knew what happened but somebody does but i can't point fingers at somebody when i don't know well as recently as june of 2021 limhigh county sheriff penner spoke with mitchell and coon senior about that fateful day in 2015 according to uh, people magazine uh, he declines to divulge any details He said, how I feel about things really doesn't matter. We're driven by the information we get and the work that we do. We combine the two and see where we're at and kind of take our direction from that. And that's what we're doing. Well, there's a bit of a timeline. July 9, 2015, Dior's parents, great-grandfather, and a family friend arrive at Timber Creek Campground. July 10, at 2.28 p.m., Dior's mother, Jessica Mitchell, calls 911 and reports her son missing tells the dispatcher he's been missing for an hour. July 10th through the 12th, nearly 200 volunteers along with search and rescue teams scour over in a two-and-a-half-mile radius around the campsite, including the nearby reservoir. July 13th, in a TV interview, Dior's dad says he believes his son was abducted. He said, when he's no longer up in the mountains. I'm sure we will find him. July 13th, nearly 200 people attend a vigil for the missing child. On December 30th, Dior's third birthday, his parents hold another vigil, Lloyd's awareness for the continued search. January 25th, 2016, then uh, County Sheriff Lynn Bowman names uh, Dior's parents as suspects. Well, the unfortunate thing is, there's they've never found any clue as to what happened. Well, on that note, we go over to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Once again, we'll be talking about Unsolved Mysteries. Till then, this is Ken Hodno for the Ken Hodno Show, saying have a truly great evening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.